Mike check one too. Well, you thought the Bruins were going to easily beat Hofstra on the hardwood last night. Oh, it's an easy win. We'll get that one. Then we'll be 5-0 and and then go to Hawaii. And then, then we got to step up our games because it's the Maui Invitational next week and we're playing some tougher competition. Well, that's exactly the kind of mindset that Hofstra head coach illuminated after the pride, his Hofstra pride beat UCLA last night he said the Bruins were looking ahead and I can easily see why he thought that I can also explain to you and this is something you've probably seen with your own eyes that as mind-numbing as this loss is it's actually not as surprising as you think if you look at the trends at least at the beginning of the season for UCLA basketball they have had a common occurrence of starting out games fast, like they did here, like they did against Southern Utah, and then letting the other opponent get back into it. And I'll explain more and elaborate on that in just a moment. Also, we're going to be talking about this big-time matchup on the gridiron between UCLA and USC. I'm going to give you my keys to the game and how if UCLA is able to do all of those three things, they will ensure themselves a win. But it is a Friday. Happy Friday. Welcome again to Locked on Bruins. I'm Brian Fenley. I'm also part of Learfield IMG College's Bruin Insider Show. And I will have a piece on the pregame show for UCLA football and their broadcast on the radio tomorrow for the football game. So be sure to tune in a little bit after 11 a.m. We'll have a, I'll have a feature on the team leading up to kickoff. But you know where to find me on the the way of email. It is LockedOnBruins at gmail.com. I am also very much fond if you could hit that subscribe button. I honestly believe that if you do consider yourself a Bruin fan, then it's a go-to for you as far as your listening enjoyment and nourishment for your ears. So here we go. I'm going to wait for my keys to the game on the football side of things. I'm going to push that to the end of this episode. I want to get into the reaction of all the uproar and all of the confusion and bewilderment that has emanated from UCLA losing to Hofstra on the basketball court at home, mind you. And like I started to to say just a moment ago, it's not as surprising as you would think. Particularly in this game against the Pride, as they call themselves, UCLA was up by 13 in the first half. Just back on Monday, they were up by 19 in the first half. And then the other team starts to come back in. There is this laxed, less engaged inability to focus on the offensive and defensive end after a strong start. You know, I'm not really... Okay, I, I was born kind of around the horse racing industry, and, and I, I really don't like the direction it's going right now, obviously, with Santa Anita and all the deaths and all that. And, and I've kind of been a little bit repelled from all of that industry. But if you've ever watched a horse race... There are obviously tactics for each horse, right? So some are finishers. Some you you see that jump out 
of the gate and they take the lead first. So when you assume how that translates to UCLA basketball, they're not the finishers. They're not the ones that go down the stretch. They hang in the pack and then all of a sudden they hit the gas pedal and they take the lead and they end up winning. It's they they take the lead at the beginning and you know the the early leaders, but then they fold back to their competition at least at this point and we're not, we're still very young in this season but you've seen this where they nose in front but they can't sustain it and that is a problem and that is Mick Cronin that is his probably his biggest focus right now now as far as like other I mean there's so much to talk about as far as this game I mean you, you could start with the the seven turnovers that Hofstra had that was it they did a great job of taking care of the basketball the Bruins only had nine deflections that is a season low and that is one way to infuriate Mick Cronin he said it's the lowest he's ever had on one of his teams and he's been a head coach for many years on many different teams and so he's very very concerned about that number and then there was the the poor outings from you know Tiger Campbell you know this is not his normal self out there, the the Bruin point guard who had a couple errant passes. He gets benched for some time. He doesn't score any points. He's one of their better shooters. He went 0 for 3 from the field. And once he came back in after being benched because of some mishaps on the basketball court, he just did not look like himself again, like his confidence level. He just did not seem locked in. At, at at one point, you could see how Hofstra does does not go away. You know, it, you wondered like some teams, you kind of get a vibe around them. Like, okay, they put up a, a valiant effort for the first fifteen or twenty minutes, but ultimately they they can't sustain this energy because you look at the team they're playing and UCLA, and they've got. Obviously, a lot more size and athleticism and strength and all that. And you'd think that, well, in the end, that will probably hold on and win out. But this was a, a pride team that never seemed to want to go away. They were very pesky. And I, I felt that there were players on the Bruins who, as they saw their lead evaporate and slip away, that they kind of got in this panic mode. Or it kind of got into, like, I've got to do everything myself. Like, there was this, like, oh, my gosh, things are not working. I, I, I've got to take it upon myself to win us the game. And we started jacking up threes when that's really not our MO. I mean, you had a couple. It was nice to see Jake Kyman hit a couple threes. It was nice to see a couple other guys knock down some threes. But Prince Ali, some ill-advised shots, you know, in that second half. And he ended up going one for nine from three-point range. And and then he had Cody Riley fouling out, which one of his fouls, which adds to the foul count, was him disagreeing with the call. He got, he got a technical. And Mick Cronin said after the game that because of that, Cody Riley is going to be running today at practice. So that is going to be... His punishment. And there were like some trends that the Bruins did well in from the fact that they had 30 more points in the paint. 
Jalen Hill had a career high. He had, I believe, 24 points. He was fantastic. But, and I'm going to talk more about what other deficiencies we saw from UCLA in our next segment against Hofstra. But when Cody Riley fouled out, you know, what you've seen is that when Riley and Jalen Hill are on the court at the same time, those two have such a great symbiotic relationship or symbiotic relationship where it it really puts a lot of strain on a defense. And so if they're both in at the same time, they complement each other and they end up playing better with each other on the court at the same time. They score more and whatnot. And so when Cody Riley gets in foul trouble and then he can't play anymore and he fouls out, then that actually makes it so much easier for the defense. And now they can address and spend more attention looking at Jalen Hill as the predominant guy that they need to start really wrapping up and double teaming. And once that happened, the the influx of offense that Jalen Hill was able to provide early on, that kind of subsided because Cody Riley was not able to get in the game. But Mick Cronin had some very harsh words about his defense, and I will bring those to you in just a moment. Mick Cronin spoke candidly after the loss to Hofstra last night. He called his team one that does not have enough mental toughness. He said that we just didn't, in his words, have enough fortitude and that the Hofstra pride tested it because they had only seven turnovers in this game. And again, the Bruins marred by turnovers once again. But I think what you could also see, some other really big concerns from Cronin's standpoint is the fact that they let the pride shoot 30 free throws and they don't have a lot of size inside so it's not like it was just strong takes to the hole over and over again you know these were guys getting fouled you know beyond the paint and just unnecessary stuff in fact he pointed out Mick Cronin that that the the Hofstra blue or the, excuse me the Hofstra pride as they call themselves they did not post up one time all night but the difference was defensively too many breakdowns he said they beat us off the dribble over and over again and he said we just could not guard them when they blew by us and he he said that it it might have made it harder and even a, a worse idea because he tried, when he saw that happening, he tried to, to to change the look of his defense, and the guys might have even been more perplexed on his team as to what to do. So the adaptability of a defense isn't quite there yet. Obviously, that's going to be a work in progress, but he reiterated once again, guys could not stay in front of their men and who they were guarding. The on-ball defense was not great and left way too many open looks, and 12 three-pointers for Hofstra. They shot 50% from three-point territory. That's another That's another thing that, that really shows itself in this game. The Bruins are not a, a... They haven't developed an identity of being a three-point shooting team right now. Like I said earlier, Jake Kyman hit a, th- a couple threes... And, you know, he had other made three balls. But, you know, if you're trying to to really, I don't know, knock out an opponent 
having the luxury of having a couple really capable three-point shooters would be so helpful. And right now, when you don't, or at least you're not trusting your outside shot for UCLA, then you're putting yourself in, in very much compromising situations. And if you've got a team that not only loves to shoot the three ball, but hits it at a high clip, then it's going to be interesting how you have to adjust your matchups to that because perimeter defense might not be at this point the hallmark of what this UCLA team is all about. And so, you know, if you can't close out on guys on, on the perimeter, then you might see quote-unquote inferior competition like a Hofstra who can shoot it out of the gym and shoot it lights out being able to keep pace with the, the high and mighty Bruins or other opponents such as such as UCLA who have a lot of size and you know but they just they're not a great offensive shooting team and that is something that I want you to keep an eye on our field goal percentage is not great right now we we can be heralded for our defense overall and in, in indicating that you know we try to set the pace of the game by slowing things down limiting possessions on the other side but our half court execution offensively it is nowhere near where it needs to be. I was very, I don't know, surprised at the way, you know, Chris Smith, he had 12 points, so he had another double-figure game, but it wasn't, like, the most pronounced 12 points. Like, if you looked at the scoreboard or the stat sheet after the game and somebody said, "You did you know Chris Smith had 12 points? You would have said, really? I didn't know he had that many. So... You know, with the likes of Tiger Campbell having a tough night, some turnovers, ill-advised shots, early in shot clocks, especially in the second half when Hofstra was making a move, those were all issues. Jalen Hill was the lone bright spot offensively, and he just said that as far as the defense and offense, not enough energy. We weren't mentally tough enough, so that was exactly what Mick Cronin said. And he said, we got to get better on defense, get our hands out in the passing channels. And he expected his team to correct that soon. But on Chris Smith's side of things, his opinion, you know, he he said, quote, I played terrible in this game. And, and, it's, and he went on to say, whether I, I'm an upperclassman or a freshman, it doesn't matter. I played terrible in this game, and I feel like I let my team down today. Well, it did not look like that was going to happen. The first 12, 11 minutes of this game, when the Bruins were up 32-19 to 19 with 8.14 to go, they had made 12 of their first 17 shots. Why can't we keep that kind of trend for a full 40 minutes? It's one of the most cliche things to say in college basketball. Oh, we played one good half. But what is stopping this team from being totally locked in offensively for a full 40 minutes? That's a question that, that I'll even throw out to you. And be sure to, to chime in if you want and send me an email, lockedonbruins at gmail.com. But why is it that we get in this stretch early on and we can't sustain it and it just slips away? Coming up in my final segment, I'm going to point out my keys to the game. 
UCLA and USC dueling it out on the football field. How does UCLA win and take down the Trojans for a second year in a row? You're about to hear how that happens. I really just hope that the way the Bruins lost against Utah last week, they can channel that frustration, that disdain for how things went, and use it as fuel against USC this weekend. I really hope they can do that because what we've seen from other teams that have played Utah following a loss to the Utes, their next game has not been pretty. But I'm hoping there are ways, and I know what Kyle Phillips, UCLA wide receiver, said earlier this week. He said, you know, it's not an easy loss to shake off. Well, don't shake it off. Keep it in your mind, but use it again as a motivating force. Use it as a positive if that's possible, and you just got to see it a different way, but I think it can be. So here we go. It is that time once again for arguably one of the best, most storied rivalries in college football, the USC-UCLA rivalry. This time it's going to be at the Coliseum and an early kickoff, 12.30 p.m. And what obviously makes this matchup more, I don't know, special is that obviously the proximity of the schools, right? They're only like, what, 12 miles separated from one another. But also that a lot of the players on either team, whether they played on the same high school team together or played on seven on seven together growing up, there's just a a, a disbursement and it just it, everything intertwines between these two teams. There, there's so much bonding between players. So for the game itself, you're going to have to obviously separate separate yourself from those friendships and and whatnot. I mean, Kyle Phillips, Bruin wide receiver, he also talked about a lot of the guys that he played with on 7-on-7 seven seven who are now on the secondary for USC. Guys like Elijah Griffin and, and Greg Johnson on the 7-on-7 seven seven circuit. Greg Johnson actually had, a, had an interception against Cal last week, so he's playing pretty well. But... You know, for, for other guys like Antonio Maffi, this is a chance to really bring the the pressure from the defensive line perspective. And you got Keen Slovis there. He's just a true freshman. He's going to be the quarterback for the Trojans in this game. And I, I got to say that as far as the keys to the game go, you're going to say, well, this is pretty obvious, Brian. I mean, duh. First one and you would have already guessed this as well. It's the turnovers. Okay, you got to cut those down. Five turnovers against Utah. We were minus four in the turnover battle against the Utes. For all of you stats-crazed fans, tell me the last time a team won a conference game when they turned it over five times. If you, I mean, I'm sure we could count it on our one hand how many times that's happened. So what does that look like? What does a, a a lowering of turnovers look like? That means a lot of it stems from our play on the offensive line. Are we going to keep a clean pocket for Dorian Thompson-Robinson? Are we going to allow him to have time to throw? Give him a couple seconds back there to, to go through his progressions. Or is it going to be, Look at your first read. Oh, all of a sudden, I'm flushed out of the pocket, and now I've got to improvise, and now, oh, I'm down, I'm sacked, or, oh, I'm running for my life, 
and a guy comes from behind and knocks the ball out of my grasp. And there's a fumble, and the Trojans have the football. So the pressure, the onus is on the offensive line when you think about lowering the turnovers. How about Dorian Thompson Robinson's decision-making? His arm strength is off the charts. I think we've talked about that so many different times. It's his precision that I think has improved a lot as well. But that will obviously be compromised if, you know, he has to throw into some tight windows and has to take some risks and and, and chances if he's not given that clean pocket. And, you know, obviously we saw... Turnovers against Utah, one of them was an interception by a defensive lineman. He made the the tip, and then he was able to wrangle it in for the pick. But it's not just Dorian Thompson-Robbins. Obviously, his decision-making is going to be critical to this game. But also, you know, we we, we saw another fumble in the red zone from other Bruins against Utah. So, you know, this is not just him. That is an issue. Goal line offense is going to be big. How are we going to perform? Because as my co-host Nick Cope pointed out on the Bruin Insider Show on Tuesday, UCLA got to at least the 35-yard line of the Utah Utes last weekend and only had three points to show for. Seven trips to at least their 35-yard line, only three points to show for. So... You know, a lot of that had to do with the the turnovers that we would get down there, and then we would barf up the football. So, that's that's big. I think that is my first key to the game. My second key is no big plays from our secondary given up. USC has one of the best wide receiver cores in the country, and they thrive with the deep ball. You can't allow the big explosive plays to happen. You, you just can't. And I don't know what that's going to look like because, you know, I don't know if you have to throw in some zone back there as far as coverage to help guys out, but you, you got to eliminate the big plays. And there are several wide receivers on the Trojans that have big play capabilities written all over them. Third, time of possession. The Bruins were on track to win the time of possession battle against Utah after that first drive where they were able to suck up about seven seven minutes. But then it all went kaput after that. That means, what does time of possession mean? That obviously means we're running the ball well. You know, we're, we're picking up first downs with Joshua Kelly's feet. And, you know, a, a, the more we're out on the field offensively, you know, that's a great source of defense because you're not letting USC's offense get on the field. So it's twofold, right? You're, you're, you're keeping the ball in your hands, you're owning the clock, but you're also keeping the Trojans' offense off the field. And they, with their system revolving around more like an, an air raid system from the great, you know, the, the great Mike Leach and his principles – they love to throw the ball all, all over the place, and the running game is very much a, a non-factor, if you will. So they're going to have a lot of... I, I feel like this game could get really high scoring, but the fact that I just said that means it probably won't. But I feel like this could be a shootout because USC is going to score a lot of points, and, and, and the question is, can UCLA match that? And it all stems from, well, how do you match that? 
you you own the time of possession and then you you get great play out of your secondary and and Darnay Holmes has to be on his game in the secondary for UCLA. If he has a big game, I think the Bruins are going to come out of here with a win. Can't wait to see how it all unfolds. We'll talk about it on Monday. Have a great weekend. I'm Brian Fenley.